Welcome back for episode 14 of the Peacemakers podcast. I am your host, Lindsay Hager. And guys, I have some exciting news to share with you all today. My workbook and my group program experience that many of you have been hearing about through my Instagram account is just about to launch. And it's called About Me, Discover and Own Your Story. I created it specifically for those of you that identify as an Enneagram Type 9 or for those of you that are 9-ish, for those of us that are looking for peace in all the ways that we can find it. Basically, if you're someone that's put themselves on the back burner of your lives and you're ready to take further steps in this journey of knowing yourself and growing in confidence in who you were made to be, this is for you. I'm opening this first round up to about 20 to 30 people. You'll get a PDF workbook and an exclusive four-week group coaching experience with me and others like you. This is for those of you that are ready to invest further in your self-discovery journey. It is a paid experience, so I don't want that to be a surprise to anyone. The investment part of putting some money in the game, it's often what helps me stay motivated to put the work and time into something like this. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes for my email list so that you can get all of the details about the program. Again, it's called About Me, Discover and Own Your Story. So I hope you all are enjoying yourselves out there. I hope you're having a great summer. I am so happy to share this panel with you all today. We recorded this a few weeks back, and the panelists are made up from some beautiful peacemakers from our Facebook group called the Peacemakers Community. Our topic of discussion was childhood patterns and how those patterns continue to show up for us throughout our lives. And if you listened to my last episode with Michael Shahan, this panel pairs really nicely with that discussion that I had with him. Okay, so I'm about to press play on this. A huge, huge thank you to the panelists for sharing their time and their stories with us. On the panel, we have Roderick from Georgia, Anne from Nashville, Helen from the UK, Emily and Stuart are both from Oregon, and Leanna is from Canada. Okay, thanks for listening and enjoy this panel. I just appreciate you all being here today, and we have six panelists. Today, our topic is childhood patterns and the roles that we played as kids, and then also we're going to talk about the roles that we continue to see as we're older, like as a type nine, what are some of those things as a child that you've continued to see as you're older and, you know, learning more about the Enneagram, how that all kind of fits together. We'll start here by just doing a quick introduction. Okay, Rod, we're going to start with you. Introduce yourself. Tell us where you live and maybe just a little bit about yourself. All right. So my name is Roger Holloman. I live in Collegeport, Georgia. I I work at a um, public school, particularly a second chance school. So teenage moms, a lot of different, a very eclectic population of students that normally wouldn't graduate and a little bit by myself. So I'm the oldest of four boys. So it's love. It's always lovely to be around the women and get you guys perspective. I got aunties and stuff, but it's definitely different when you grow up with boys. So a lot of food was ate, a lot of stuff was broken, a lot of smelly socks around the house and stuff like that. But I think me being the oldest gave me a very unique experience, especially being a non-ist. We love to be in the background, but particularly when you're the oldest, you're kind of like the child that they're kind of like trying everything going. So you don't really get that chance to kind of sit in the background. So once I learned about the Enneagram, I kind of learned where that pressure or that kind of tension of, okay, I want to step out and I want to lead by example, but the innermost part of me really wants to just be silent and sit in the background. So that's just a little bit about me. Okay, we're going to go to Ann next. I'm Ann and I'm from Nashville. Started learning about the Enneagram, you know, a couple of years ago, especially got really into it at the beginning of COVID. So I've enjoyed learning kind of about being a nine and what that means. From a family standpoint, I was the youngest and the youngest and the only girl. So I have two older brothers and then myself. So found kind of being a nine, you're kind of, you're the baby, but yet you're you know, you just kind of let things go. So you just kind of went along with everything. There's kind of a huge age gap between me and my brothers. And so I almost was almost an only child at one point in time, but still I just was very easygoing, always in the background, kind of went along with everybody, you know, 
making the peace with everybody. Okay, great. Thank you. Helen. Hello, I'm Helen from the UK and I work with young adults with learning disabilities. I met the Enneagram how many years ago? 13 years ago and I found it really, really insightful and really, really helpful. I'm the oldest child of three so I was very much the one that was expected to take the lead and behave properly and be the example. So yeah, that was quite a quite interesting thing with the nine because the one was wanting to be a nine and sort of kind of be a serving person really and yet being pulled out constantly to be like a leader so that tension has gone through my whole life between the inner me that wants to serve and the outer me that's demanded to lead thanks helen okay next we have emily great i'm emily lovell and I live in Oregon. I'm a financial coach and a life coach. And I discovered the Enneagram maybe five or six years ago, just because I'm fascinated by personality stuff and typology. And I really, really enjoy it. It's so, as someone said, insightful. It's a perfect word for it. I was the second oldest of six kids in a blended family. So there was lots of interesting dynamics that I experienced growing up with my older brother and my younger siblings and stuff. And I resonate with a lot of what people said about being the oldest and being a leader, even though it's not innate or natural, but it's something that like develops because of your childhood. So yeah, I'm excited to talk more about all that. Thank you. Leanna? Hi, I'm Liana. I'm from Vancouver, BC in Canada. I'm a pharmacist, work in the community. You know, I guess we, we have a big pharmacy called the Shoppers Drug Mart, which is kind of like Walgreens or something over there. Uh, I discovered the Enneagram about two years ago when I turned 40. I was kind of in a really dark place. And a mom from church kind of introduced me to it by reading the book that wrote back to you, I think, Ian Morgan Cron. But yes, as soon as I uh, read about the nine, I knew that was me and my whole life made so much more sense. And it's, it's been great. I have an eight-year-old boy and I'm the oldest of three. I have a younger brother and a baby sister. I'm almost 10 years older than her. So I was kind of her nanny. And also being the eldest, I was, you know, kind of like a lot of the people here that were the eldest had to be in leadership, but really didn't want to be there. So a lot of conflicts that drove my life. And it's only now that I'm starting to engage in healthy conflict. And then kind of this second half of life that I'm going through right now, it's been very interesting. And the Enneagram has helped me be a better parent as well, too. So that's been really good. Thank you. All right. And then we have Stuart. Yeah. Hi, my name is Stuart Ayer. And like Emily, I also live in Oregon. I live in uh, Central Oregon, a little town called Sisters. And my girlfriend at the time, three years ago, uh, she's a sexual four, introduced me to the Enneagram and really started engaging it. And at the same time, started psychotherapy counseling as well. And so kind of between those two modalities, got to find out an awful lot about myself and why I am the way I am and why I act and react the way I do. And um, yeah. Great. Thank you, Stuart. So if you listen to episode 13 of the podcast, I had Michael Shahan. He's a marriage and family therapist. And we talked a little bit about childhood patterns. And it's his belief that we're kind of born our Enneagram number, or we are born with these sensitivities that, you know, it, it didn't matter what family we were born into or necessarily what experiences we had, if they were, you know, somewhat traumatic or maybe there weren't a whole lot of bumps in the road, but more than likely we would have landed in the nine space just because of those sensitivities that we were born with. And so then our life starts pushing in on us and affects us each in different ways, but because of our tendency towards pulling ourselves away from the conflict and we start to play these roles in our families and, and then we start to see them as we get older. And so I'm going to ask you two questions. So we'll go around and everyone will answer this first one. Let me just read a little excerpt from what I sent you from the wisdom of the Enneagram. So it says nines grew up feeling that having needs, asserting themselves, getting angry or creating difficulties for their parents was not allowed. As a result, nine children never learned to assert themselves adequately or by extension to actualize themselves independently of their parents and significant others. Young nines learned to stay in the background where things could not get to them. 
In adulthood, their psychic space is so crowded with the issues and agendas of the people who they are trying to accommodate that they're often unable to hear the voice of their own needs and desires. And so it is interesting as I listen to each of your stories of your backgrounds, many of you are either the oldest child in your family or you, like Anne, you said that you were kind of an only because you're, the distance between you and your next sibling was so far and you're the only girl. So you talked about having kind of that role. You just had this sense of responsibility. And I know you said you, you, you grew up on a farm and so that you can talk about how that played into it as well. But I just find that kind of connection interesting. But let's start with Rod and Rod, maybe give us like a picture of what your childhood looked like. And as you hear this description of the nine child, where do you see kind of this description fitting for you? So I think that when you, you know, all of us kind of know about the Enneagram and the nine falls into the body or instinctual uh, part of the different triad. So when I think about my childhood, I realized after I read read about the Enneagram nine that I was taking in so much information through my body and I did things not with my heart or my head at all, now that I think about it. And I think with me being the oldest, I leaned into my instincts more than anything and probably made a lot more mistakes than I probably should have because I never tried to go to my head or to my heart. I tried to lean on my strength. So my childhood looked a lot like me, like I said, going between that tension of trying to step out and lead by example, but people demanded more of me. Like growing up, it's funny that you was talking about that episode. And he said that, you know, we kind of had these sensitivities and we were born with them. And I, I can remember as young as second, third grade, getting like the citizenship award. And now that I think back on it, I don't think that I got the citizenship award because I really was, I think we instinctually want to be great citizens, especially nines. We want to love on people and, and, and be all that we can be. But I think it's also this other part of being a nine that you're trying to self-preserve. So I think that my citizenship came from, all right, if I do all these great things for people, then I never have to get the spotlight on me. And I never have to try to, you know, have these things said or step into these roles. So you know what? I'm going to help this guy pick up these crayons. I'm going to help this guy put this stuff back in his cubby. So I've seen that kind of just tell its way all the way through my adulthood in my professional life where, hey, I'm the first person to come with for tasks that people probably don't want to do. I'm going to stay after when it's time to clean up. I'm going to make sure I put up all the chairs. But then I also have seen where as I've gotten older, I do want to see, oh, I do have a voice. I do want to say something about that. Or I do want to step into that role and might lead on that. So that's kind of just like a little bit of my childhood leading up to adulthood. Mm-hmm. And you said that you're the oldest of four boys. Yes, ma'am. Is that right? And how did, you know, talk a little bit more about how that kind of responsible rod play out with your brothers. For sure. We know males are dominated by ego, pride, stuff like that. So I, I tell this to people all the time. I used to pray to God about why didn't you make me more assertive? You know, I felt like I always had like the things that women were more catered to like, you know, I care about emotions and feelings and stuff like that. So honestly, I felt like now looking back, I had emotional intelligence to give my brothers more so than stepping out and being what America or, you know, what the world sees as that type A dominant guy. I never was that. So being the oldest for me was a little different because I think my nineness gave me a different perspective than what most probably older males or the, being the oldest male of, of boys will probably try to how to handle those relationships with their brothers. I handled it in a different way. Mm-hmm. I would pull them aside and, hey, calm down. Let's breathe. And I remember doing this, like, early on. And now that I look back on it, I'm like, wow, okay. I had a little emotional intelligence there. Yeah. But like I said, I wasn't happy about that. I wouldn't show that, like, outside of my home that often, knowing that I know how to, like, okay, use these different common techniques with people. I wouldn't show that because that's not what people said a male should be. So that was kind of my experience being the oldest. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. All right. And we're going to go over to you. 
I'm was the youngest in my family and the only girl. And my oldest brother was 18 years older than me when I was born. So he was actually a freshman in college. So I actually thought of him more as like an uncle. I was like, who's this kid, you know, person that shows up every few weekends and spends the night. And so then my brother that's closest to me is eight years older. So there is kind of a wide age gap. And so as growing up, you know, when he was still home, I was just more in the background. I grew up on a farm. So you just kind of did the things that needed to be done. You, you didn't complain about it. You just you did it. And and then, of course, when he left and went to college, then I became more of an only child because I was at home and my parents were quite a bit older when they had me. So looking back now and having learning about the Enneagram and being a nine, I can tell that I was the peacemaker, that I tried to keep everybody going kind of in the background, you know, oh, what do y'all want to go? Okay, whatever y'all want to do is fine with me. You know, I didn't assert myself. And now, fast forward into you know adulthood and now that my dad is still living and my youngest brother is still living I find myself do, being a peacemaker really between those two because they just butt heads I feel like constantly and so I feel like I'm constantly having to go okay listen don't deal with this I'll take care of this you know let me deal with it you know what it, being the helper I constantly you know trying to do what needs to be done and kind of but yet never asserting like okay this is what it has to happen or anything. So, you know, I feel like even now it's always being that peacemaker, always, you know, putting everyone else first or not using my voice or asserting myself into it. Mm-hmm. Helen, you want to go next? Yeah. So I was the oldest child. I would say that my upbringing was because it, in the, in the UK where I live, it's kind of right down in sort of the country. And um, I grew up on a farm as well. And I would say that the attitudes of the parents at that time was very Victorian. So it was very women and men. Women had specific um, jobs and specific voices or lack of voices, like in church, no voice. And, you know, men had their heavy work and the women looked after the home. And that was very, very strong. And so I was born into a role where straight away I had to be the one that took care of my brothers. I had two brothers. One, there was a big gap, nine year gap between me and the youngest and only two and a half with the next one and so I became like the mini mom and it was a it was a strange situation really because I didn't I didn't feel well I felt this tension actually I felt this tension between you know women aren't supposed to have a role women aren't supposed to speak and yet I was having to sort of, you know, lead. It didn't feel the same as being a mom. It felt a little bit different. And so I remember once my brother just under me, he was messing around down by a river. We were in the park and my mum worked. And um, suddenly I saw the shoe floating off down the river. And it was like, oh, no, I know that's going to be my fault, you know. And got home and sure enough, you know, my brother didn't, nothing happened for him. But for me, I was in trouble because I should have stopped that shoe from going sailing down the river so there were many many sort of incidences of where where I was expected to play this lead role and the one that knew better and the one that should behave better and it was it it was at odds somehow with my my personality somehow and some also I think I really do think that because of growing this up in this sort of women and men different roles thing I've actually felt dogged my whole life really feeling like you know this is a man's world and women aren't necessarily taken very um, seriously an example of that was a couple of years ago I was broken down on the motorway in my car and I called the AA man and after four hours and freezing one came and then they tried to take details from me in order to then get me home. And they just said, sorry, you don't exist. You're not here. You're not on the database. I'm going, but I am, I am, I am. And they wouldn't listen to me. And in the end, I had to phone my stepfather and tell him my details, who phoned them and said the same details. And I existed suddenly. So mm-hmm. it was really, really frustrating, you know, that that it was another example of if you've got a male voice, you know, you're heard. And if you've got a female voice you're not heard so that is a a situation which has dogged me quite a lot and alongside that is that women have no needs women have to put everyone else before themselves and my mum is still like that actually if we're out in the car and it's my right of way in the car she'll tell me to wait and let the other person first 
you know, and I see that I see that in lots of areas of my life where I have to make sure everybody else is okay first, and then I'll see to me or if there's anything left for me, I'll have it and if not I won't, but almost like I I can't relax, you know, until I know everybody else is happy and got what they need. Thank you, Helen. You brought up a few things that makes me think about just the the cultural roles that people play. So you talked about women and men and the view of what a woman is supposed to do or the role she's supposed to play. And, you know, there's many different cultural topics we can talk about in that same way. Like, you know, what ethnicity are you? Or a lot of times it comes back down to like, how much money do you have? What's your status in the, in the world or in your community? But as I've learned about the Enneagram too, I think about the other numbers. And sometimes I I get a little bit of a chip on my shoulder talking about like threes and sevens and eights that have more of this outward energy. And so they, they may have been experiencing those same messages of, you know, well, you're a woman, so you don't need to speak up as much, but because they were maybe a more outwardly spoken person and, you know, in well, at least in America, in, in this culture, you know, if you're driven, if you have some sort of like drive pushing you forward to do something great in your life, then you're going to get attention anyway. So it's, I, I feel very sad when I think about either introverts or type nines or people that have that tendency to put themselves in the background. I get very like protective of us and sad because if we were born with these sensitivities to be a little more tender or put ourselves in the back, then it just, it makes me want to fight for us all the more, you know? And as I hear y'all stories and I, and as I think about my story, it makes, there's something in me and maybe it's like that eight energy or, or whatever, like, come on, like, let's keep, striving to put our voice out there because there's nothing better about a three or a seven or eight. It's just, they were lucky enough to, to have that, you know, forward energy, that assertive energy, I guess is what I'm trying to say. All right, let's go to Emily next. All right. So I grew up in a larger family. My mom had me and my older brother first and then remarried and they my mom and my stepdad had four other kids. So a little bit of a blended family. I didn't, I wasn't in contact with my biological dad growing up. And so I considered my stepdad, my dad, cause he, they got married when I was like two years old, but my older brother didn't. And so it was a little bit stressful for me to feel like I had to like balance that, you know, or please one, not the other or something. And then having four younger siblings, The youngest ones were born when I was nine and they were twins. So I kind of stepped into this role of helping my mom with the twins and all the babies. And so there was a lot of caretaking responsibilities, even as like a nine-year-old, which I liked. I loved babies and I, you know, wanted to be a babysitter and stuff, but my parents were also pastors. So there was a uh, church setting that we were involved in. We were homeschooled, so we were a very tight-knit family. And so the, the... nine tendencies that I saw pop up were just kind of accommodating any way I could and just I didn't want to make too many waves I feel like the waves I did make it wasn't necessarily that I didn't know how to be assertive or confident because I did feel confident in my family but it was more about like not being able to be assertive with my emotional needs so once I hit puberty I was just like a leaking faucet crying all the time and feeling very embarrassed about it because you know it's hard to explain why you're crying when you're 13 years old and my mom is a seven so she's very assertive and avoid some of those more negative emotions or things that seem painful. She was very, they're, both my parents were very nurturing, but they're also pretty assertive, go, 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 very energetic people. So as I've learned a lot from them, but I, I see that in my adult life, I've, uh, I have a smaller social circle than when I was growing up because it's just, it's a little bit easier for me to kind of not isolate necessarily, but to just kind of simplify my life and just like have me, my husband, you know, we just had a daughter a year and a half ago. And then like, we have, you know, a couple friends here and there. I mean, the pandemic obviously affected that as well, but I found that I still have a role of like trying to balance things out. Like whenever there's conflicts in the family, I want to like hear both sides and I want to help people. Uh, I'm 
find myself doing a lot of mediating because that was what I did as a kid, a lot of like helping out with fights and stuff and trying to get all the kids to get along. And I saw that in, at church and at school as well, just like, why can't we all just get along type of stuff? Do you think you did that because you wanted the peace to be there? Or did you feel responsible that you were the one that was supposed to bring the peace to them? Hmm. It was a little bit of both, but I think it was more that I wanted the peace. I would get annoyed when people would be fighting about something that I didn't think was that important. I'm like, why does that even matter? Can't you just let it go? You know, I'm because I let a lot of things go. And when I was younger, I didn't really understand why other people couldn't, you know, I would be like making a big deal or making a big fuss about things type of mm-hmm. ways of thinking. Yeah. Very nine-ish sounds. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you, Emily. Mm-hmm. All right. Leanna. Hi. So growing up, I resonated a lot with Helen and Emily. I, my grandma had nine kids, so I have lots of cousins. And I was kind of grew up like a latchkey kid. My parents worked 16 hour days, so didn't really see much of them. So I was pretty much like the nanny. I became the parent to my brother, who was only three years younger. And then my baby sister, who's nine years younger than me. But my grandma was the main babysitter. And I guess we lived within blocks of each other. So I, I would be the one responsible. Anything that went wrong it was my fault because I'm the eldest. And uh, if I didn't corral all the cousins to behave, then it was my fault. And I wonder if it's a cultural thing as well, too, because I resonated a lot with what Helen was saying, that, you know, all us children were supposed to be seen and not heard. And the women are always in the background, you know, busy picking up things, making everything look perfect and not have any needs or, or demands. I guess another thing that compounded all the feelings I've got when I was a kid is that I'm first generation born here in Canada. And uh, my parents were from China and my parents were arranged marriage pretty much. So there wasn't any dating. So I don't know, love is kind of like a weird thing. And, and also in our culture, in our family, we don't feel feelings. There's no such thing as feelings. Feelings are irrelevant and stoicism is like praised you know you're supposed to be like stoic like buddha or something like that and so any showing of emotion is a sign of weakness and so if you feel bad about any you stuff it down inside you just don't talk about it so that created a lot of a lot of problems so i learned to just become invisible kind of like You know, I I do a lot of things to prevent any conflicts from happening because it all comes back to me. Mm. I would be in trouble. And also I wanted the peace. So it was kind of a double whammy in that sense. And yeah, so it continued into my life. I became kind of more of like a workaholic, always working extra, coming in early, staying late, doing everything to make sure everything goes well for the team. I don't leave anything behind. And yeah, it's pretty dysfunctional in that Mm. sense where I didn't even know who I was. I I knew what everybody else wanted. I have Mm. no idea what I wanted. So I became a pharmacist because my parents wanted me to. And all these things did whatever everybody else wanted me to. And then midlife, I'm like, oh my gosh, I did everything everybody wanted to. And I'm miserable. Mm. What's going on here? And now having the Enneagram as a tool to grow back to me, to the real me, has Mm -hmm. been uh, very, very good, very therapeutic. Mm -hmm. Thank you. All right, Stuart. Yeah, where to begin? Well, when I found out I was a nine, I absolutely hated it. It's like, no, anything but a nine. You know, I come from a blended family as well. My older brother and sister are about six years ahead of me. And I think my sis is a three. My older brother is a probably seven with an eight wing or an eight with a seven wing. And um, I learned early on kind of that my voice didn't matter because my mom and dad would argue and they would not argue a lot, but when they did argue, it was pretty loud. And my brother and I, I, my younger brother, who's also a nine would, would protest them, you know, arguing. And, you know, I'd be standing there crying and asking them, stop, you guys got to stop. Yeah. I was about four or five years old at the time. And, they wouldn't, my voice was ignored, you know, just go away, go upstairs, go to your bedroom. And they would finish that off. And I'd never get any closure after these arguments. And so that was kind of where I learned my voice really doesn't matter. 
So kind of the, the peacekeeper's way of, of doing things of just being, you know, kind of, kind of in the background. So then when I got into therapy, about the same time I started really diving into the Enneagram, my therapist took me through family of origin and, you know, looking through all the traumas and that's where I went, okay, this all makes sense now. And I'm pretty sure my mom was a very unhealthy nine, narcissist, passive aggressive, really learned the whole passive aggressive thing through my mom. So been working on that, you know, trying to shake that out, but yeah, that's kind of my story. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Stuart. Okay. So for this next question, what I really want our listeners to take from this is it's really, for me, it's all about like that continual acknowledgement uh, of self-awareness that our presence matters, that yes, we may have had these childhood patterns and these stories that are super important and super vital to growing and creating new patterns for ourselves. But I'd like you to talk about what does it look like? And some of y'all touched on a little bit with your adulthood now. So as an adult now, what are some things or what has been pushing up against you in your life that you're like, oh, that's my nineness. That is loud and clear. And I got to do something about it. Like has, have there been like specific events that you would want to share or circumstances, or maybe just a story. I just think it'll be helpful for, for people to hear what it looks like for you when these ego patterns push up against you and maybe some of the steps that you've taken to change that or get better, or, you know, if you've gone to counseling or just digging in more to the Enneagram, obviously is one of those things. So we'll start with you, Rod. So I think we, as nines, all of us can probably know that feeling of inertia, right? That feeling, man, Everything around me is moving, but I'm like here. I'm like solid as a rock being stubborn. So I think that's probably the one thing when you say something that has probably stood out in my adulthood that's affecting me that I can really just point at is the inertia of, okay, I'll do this tomorrow, but then I still haven't done what I was supposed to do two weeks ago. So now this stuff is just building up, building up, building up. So the inertia just builds and it happens in like waves, you know, it's like this thing that just comes in waves and in sequence with other things that's going around you. So one thing I've tried to do is just really key in on the inertia and not just let things kind of build up. And then like that nine explosion happens. I don't know if you guys ever had it where somebody's like, oh, you do get angry. Where did that come from? Okay. So like not letting that build up because like I mean Lizzie had a, a counseling session before I just talking about nineness and I told her that like my body can't lie that's what my body was telling me as I got older that I can't lie for you anymore you know like I can't sit here and take these punches and take these blows and just let this stuff just sit here and simmer and then explosion is your body telling you hey look I can't hold this stuff down any longer. So that's what I've been really trying to deal with the inertia and really just allow myself to feel the emotions uh, and let them sit there and not just try to use something. We know we watch TV, narcanization, try to use some type of routine to not deal with what I really want to deal with. So yeah, that's kind of been my, my journey. Where have you seen that show up the most for you where it's like really pushed against you the most? To be honest, <laughs> to me, I think it's been all areas, man. Like it's been professional life. It's been relationships. I would say relationships. I key on our relationships. When you, I was, I was listening to Emily and she was talking about having that small group of friends. And I think we at Nas does that because when we have a small group of emotions to deal with, we can, we can manage that better. What we're really trying to do is manage the peace within inside ourselves with those relationships at the same time. When you got 10, 20 people to do that, it's hard to try to maintain your peace with all the other, you know, mindsets and positions and like everything. So for me, it showed up in relationships the most. And I kind of tried to say over the last couple of years to really allow myself to go deep. Sometimes we can go surface level and be fine with that because I don't have to deal with the emotions. I can just deal with mine and take a little bit of yours. So I've been trying to go deeper with my relationships and not just have associates, but really have some close, close people around me. Yeah. Yeah. I think about that. Helen and I have talked about highly sensitive is HSP, highly sensitive people. And just like that empathy and that, that totally, I think is another 
thing, like Michael Shahan was saying that we're born with these sensitivities. And when you're in a crowded room and it's like all of these voices, either it's their, their voices or it's their facial expressions that are coming at you or just the vibe of the room. And it's like, it, it makes me anxious or I gotta, I gotta just go do something else because it's too much at once. Thanks, Rod. We'll go to Anne next. Two areas and I'll kind of spearhead off of what Rod said. Uh, it's not going from like getting steps B to Z done. It's getting from A to B. And I think that was one of your podcasts. And it's just like, I mean, I can knock out a ton of stuff, but it's just that initial A to B step. And so I see that happen, not as much at work as more in just personal things. It's like, okay, why was that so hard to make that phone call to get that information that now you can complete these other 12 things? And it's just like, why is that hard to do? And then I think my the other thing, uh, that I show my nineness in is just conflict in general. You come home and we have older kids and they're getting into it with each other. They're getting into it with their dad. And it's just like the constant. And I'm like, I just want it to be peaceful. How, how can you not, you know, why does this matter? Why are you arguing over this? This is not even relevant to anything. Why do we need this? So just that constant battle. And then it's a battle within myself because it's like, y'all are driving me crazy. I need peace and quiet. I need, you know, this is killing me. It's like, why does this matter? What do we need to do to resolve this? You know, and then, of course, denying everything that I need, not asserting myself, but like, okay, yeah, we'll have hamburgers tonight. That sounds great. Yeah, it's not what I want for dinner. But, you know, if it'll keep the peace or whatever, then, you know, that's what we'll do. Whatever it takes to have that peace. And sometimes you're talking about being in a crowded room and lots of people. And it's like, I'm just going to go out the back door and just kind of take a brief moment of breath and then come back in. It's just like you can't. It's like it closes in on you. So, yes, mm-hmm. but, it's where I see the nineness. Yeah. My daughter, she's almost eight. And I, I almost hate it when she has a, like a playmate over. She's the only child. When she has a playmate over, I'm like, oh, I know that I'm going to be needed the whole time. And it's, I'm going to be mediating. Like if they get upset after like 30 minutes of hanging out, I'm like, okay, well you guys can do this. And you guys, you can color over here and Haley, you can go upstairs. And my husband's like, why are you doing this? Like she needs to learn to work it out. And I'm like, but, but no, I want, I want her friend (laughs) to have a good time. Like her friends here wanting to have a good time. And I want that. And it's just like a sick way of trying to create my own peace. Basically. I'm not, I'm not really doing it for them. I'm doing it for me. Oh, yes. Now we talk about sometimes when we go on vacation about sharing, getting a house and sharing it with another family. And I'm like, absolutely not. I'm like, I, you know, I love going to the beach, being with them all day, going to dinner, but I've got to have that early morning where I'm by myself and kind of do my routine or the late at night to do my routine. It's like, I cannot share like a whole week. Now we can do a long weekend, that kind of thing. But just the thought of going and spending a whole week in the same house with another family that just about I mean, I'd just rather not go on vacation. It's like, okay, I'll just stay home. Y'all go have fun. I'll stay home. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to mix it up a little bit. Stuart, if it's okay, I'm going to jump down to you to go next. I think uh, probably one of the big ones for me is uh, conflict avoidance. And I've gotten better at that, but I've kind of have to figure out where do I, where do I step in? Is this worth something, you know, engaging in? Or is this something, ah, just kind of let it slide. They just kind of say their opinion and go. So kind of figuring that out. And the thing I'm finding out is when I state my opinion, people are pretty respectful of that. They may not agree, but they're respectful of it. And the other thing that I discovered is in my personality, I felt that I needed to win the argument. If I was going to, you know, get into conflict with somebody, I needed to make sure that I I won that. And that just doesn't matter anymore. I I don't have to win. I just make myself known and and who I am. And so that was, that was a a pretty eye-opening one for me, I think was the, was the conflict avoidance. That's good. And then Stuart, you also talked about learning about your family of origin. What was it that was so helpful for you of learning, learning about your family of origin? And do you feel like that was pivotal in you know, going into your adult life. Well, you you were yeah. already an adult when you did that work, right? Yeah, that was just a few years ago. It's been very, very helpful. And, you know, the whole family of origin thing, it finally made sense how I became a nine and, you know, the things that I brought along with me on that journey into adulthood and the difficulties that arose from 
from being a nine and not knowing that I'm a nine. That's has been the most eye-opening thing. And in talking to people, they say, yeah, you have changed over the last three years. And so that's, I think, you know, just working with the Enneagram and, and working with the therapy has been very, very helpful in kind of seeing those patterns and, and stepping into them, you know, check in. Am I being passive aggressive? Should I just have been more straightforward in my response to that mm-hmm. person? You know, was I just being kind of a butthole and, and, you know, being passive aggressive when I should have just been, you know, straight up with that. So, you know, getting, getting better at that, that's for sure. For me, it's the whole thing of merging. That's been the the biggest theme through my life. And it's been one of those things where I would say it's my greatest strength, you know, but for myself, it's my greatest weakness. So for as a greatest strength, it's meant that I've, I've been a good teacher. So it means that I can really let go of myself and with my students that, that come to me, then it's like if I empty myself, then I'm actually aware of them and what they need and what to do. And there are lots of examples through my life where this ability to merge with other people has been a strength in terms of them. Where it's been a pain for me is, well, Lindsay, we've talked about this from time to time, where I feel as if I'm actually invisible and I struggle to get visible. So unless I'm doing my thing, people could actually kind of forget about me altogether. And so that's something that's painful. But if I took the two things together, I wouldn't change it for the world because I have been able to use it to be of service, which is what I believe that I've come here for. So the fact that it hurts me at times, I still wouldn't change it, you know. Mm. So, yeah, merging. Thanks, Helen. Okay, Emily. So I found in my adulthood I've been mostly okay with, like, my career choices and things like that although I have trouble finishing things, (laughs) but it's been more about like my emotional state that has been, I've seen a lot of nine patterns of not really knowing how to deal with powerful emotions or how to accept them or what even to do with them. I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease in my early, early twenties. And so that was really stressful for me because I was in a state of having to ask for a lot of support and I did not I like that. It was really uncomfortable for me to be like, I need help. I need to see the doctor multiple times, you know, to figure things out. And, you know, it's still around and that's hard too, is navigating that of the the feelings of disappointment and stuff about my body and its illness. And then also emotional needs and relationships and stuff. And some of the stuff that I have tried to do to help with that is just mindfulness and acceptance of emotions and letting them be. Earlier I mentioned I cried a lot as a teenager and I think I would cry worse because I would try, I would be trying not to cry. And so I would be resisting it so much that the body like didn't really know what to do with it. So these days, if I feel like crying, I just, I let myself cry and then it doesn't really last that long. I can let it pass because it's just a you know, a sensation that rises in the body. It's not something that I have to fight. Like I felt like I used to have to do. And so, yeah, the emotional stuff has been, has come up a lot and I've pushed up against that a lot. Trying not to, um, trying to use them and learn from them and not like ignore them or neglect them. Yeah. Great. Thank you. All right. Leanna. Listening to Emily, I also have an autoimmune disorder. When I was 16, I developed psoriasis all over my body. And then shortly after that, I'm the lucky 30% that gets the arthritis. So I've been living with psoriasis and arthritis for more than half my life. So it's been very interesting. I, I think the way that been the pattern of my nineness that's been hitting against me the most is like, like Emily, the, the emotions, like I, it was anger and sadness, fear, all those were not okay. We were not allowed to, to express it. So I, I stuffed it inside. I, I fell asleep to it. And then what it did is it, it came out through my body. We're in the body center. So my body started attacking itself. And I remember somebody said, my therapist probably anger to self is depression. And I've had mm-hmm. depression since <laughs> probably even before then. I remember being a very depressed seven-year-old. I was one of those weird emo kids that felt like there was something profoundly wrong with me all by myself at recess. And it was, it was really strange. I remember at one point in my life, I, I, I was so exhausted with everything around me. I wanted to not exist anymore. Mm. Like to 
bring the Ninas to another level really just not exist. But uh, what I found in my adult life now with therapy and all that, with internal family systems and somatic experience, I'm, I'm starting to do some of that right now and dealing with all the trauma I had and embracing the anger, being awake to the anger that I have for all the trauma that I experienced in the past and being okay with it, feeling all the feelings and kind of let the body just relax, like has been a major, major thing for me. Mm. It was through that, that I was able to rebuild, reconcile some of my broken relationships. I have let my husband believe that he was the perfect husband for 10 years. And he wasn't because I was just not telling him what was really going through my mind and what was going on in the relationship. So yeah, so now that it's only in this last year that I was able to engage in a healthy conflict with him and be honest with him, because like Brene Brown said, you know, clear is kind, unclear is unkind. And mm. I was not giving him the chance to be the husband that, you know, he wants to be for me. And so it, it's been great, you know, this Enneagram journey, knowing myself and knowing that he's a six, that makes so much more sense now, now knowing that, okay, that's yeah. it. I have a lot more compassion so for good. him. Yeah. So, so it's, it's, it's great. <laughs> that is so good. It's so good. I, I want to say this last thing is that, so this is the, this is the 14th episode and the feedback that I get from others, just when I talk to them one-on-one or when they listen to a podcast episode, or, you know, there's, there's a lot of other Enneagram panels out there. Like the art of growth has great panels. Like I'm, I'm the, the queen of researching, like, all of the nine episodes, like, you know, of all time, like I will listen to all that. I'm so self-absorbed in that way, but I just, I know how much it means to other nines and other people out there listening that maybe not, they might not be a nine, but they have these tendencies. I know how much it means to them to hear your stories. And I just, I think we just have so much beauty to give. I mean, it doesn't matter how old you are, how long you've known this part about yourself through the Enneagram language, or, you know, maybe you feel like you're behind. Maybe you're like, I've lived all this life and I've wasted time or, you know, or sometimes I feel like I have tried and tried and tried to get over an issue so many times. And it starts to build up shame because I'm like, how much longer? How, like, can I not even get the dishes done? I mean, just ridiculous things, small things. But I guess I just, I'm just so encouraged by you guys and thankful that you're recognizing your value and that you're like, I do matter. And because I matter, I'm going to do the work, even if it's hard. And I'm going to show up and, and just keep doing it one day after the next. And I, Rod and I have talked about this. I'm going to tell on you. Rod, and you and I are going to do a, a solo episode about this because he has this amazing idea that he has carried with him through his whole life of something that keeps showing up. It's kind of like a passion in him and it keeps showing up in different areas of like, oh, this is who Rod is here. And this is who Rod is in this setting. And, and we're like, yeah, like that's, that's your life passion is to do that. And some, however you package it. It's that's Rod, you know, like I've, I can look back into my childhood and say, I've always loved listening to people. I've always loved, you know, getting interested in other people's stories. And, you know, Leanna, you said that you kind of went the route of pharmacy because that was kind of an expectation of yours, but now it's like, what's next? Like you have a playground of all these things of discovering yourself and what, what could it be that you do next? I mean, not that you're going to let pharmacy go, but there's so many things to discover about yourself and about what you want to do with the next part of your life. So any last words before we leave? I I would love it if one or two people would just give, give like a sentiment. If you were speaking either to a nine or if you're speaking to yourself, like 10 or 20 years ago, what would you say to them? What would be your best advice? I'll say something. (laughs) Okay. And you go first. I would tell either my younger self or another nine, you do matter. You do have a voice and don't overthink it. Just be assertive, get out there and say something and do something. Be loud. <laughs> I want to say something kind of similar. Just like I would tell my younger self not to take 
herself so seriously because I was quite self-conscious. I still am a little bit. And I would just encourage her to be like, you know, not as many people are watching you as you think they are. That <laughs> you, can, you can just be yourself and enjoy yourself. And the people who matter and who know that you matter are gonna see you for who you are. I would say for me, obviously with nines, we can be a little bit reticent to engage with our feelings and let our feelings be known in the moment. And that's what I would say to my younger self is just figure out what you're feeling and then just go ahead and barf it out there. You know, you can't be responsible for how other people are going to feel or how they're going to take it, but to just be yourself. I mean, especially engaging the last woman that I was going with, I would wait till the next day to respond. We'd have this conversation, then I'd play it through my mind and then the next day respond. And it's like, no, I had all that stuff in my mind yesterday. I should have just thrown it out there and responded rather than, you know, just kind of letting it go by the wayside. That I found that to be a very, not a real helpful thing anyway, in doing that. So yeah, just great. let your feelings be known. Thank you so much. All right. Anyone else? Hey, Lynn, I just want to say, can you get this panel back together? Aww. I don't know if everybody would love to come back. If everybody would love to come back, because I, I did this training. I did this training over the summer for my job. And it was it was like the first class to go through this training for just to get some more skills or whatever. And it was it was a very great training. I mean, people were crying, people were, you know, doing all these. I mean, it was it was like, what? This is a professional training that we're going through right now. And I feel like the same thing. And I don't know if you guys have been paying attention, but the last time a pandemic like this happened, you know, well, if you look through history, the Roar 20s came after that and then but I can't remember the one before that I think the industrial revolution but I was reading some podcast or listening to some podcast and he was saying that after this particular pandemic that we're going to go back to being communal you know like even though we have all this technology we have all these ways to stay connected to each other we feel more isolated than we've ever felt before because we really even though people have all this technology and everything what they do is they put out a uh, a figure or an image that's really not them. And it's very much getting back to that communal aspect of, of life. And that's what this feels like on this podcast right now. So just thank you for hosting this. Uh, it's been great to get to know all of you guys. So yeah, it's been great. All right, guys. I appreciate you guys. Good. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Have a great one. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much.